Hi folks, this is Jacob Grace with Grassland 2.0. Every couple of weeks, Grassland 2.0 participants get together on Zoom for an informal, project-wide lab meeting. At these meetings, a team member or collaborator gives a short presentation of their work, and then the group discusses how it relates to the project as a whole. Presenters have included grazing specialists, grass-fed industry and marketing professionals, and researchers from a wide variety of disciplines. In this episode, we'll hear a recording from one of these lab meetings, featuring UW-Madison PhD student Jacob Hendon describing his ongoing research into the relationship between perennial agriculture and water quality. We'll hear about how studying aquatic insects can help you monitor water quality, how tricky it is to separate the effects of farming decisions from other related factors, and why making promises about improving water quality could backfire. Here's an edited recording of Jacob Hendon presenting to Grassland 2.0 in July of 2021. The big picture idea that we're looking at is that we want to see if conversion to grassland agriculture can help reduce soil erosion and can help reduce nutrient loss and ultimately like reduce the pollution that's coming into these surface waters. Um, agricultural pollution is, of course, a very important factor in diminishing water quality. So what's important looking forward is areas that are already agriculturally managed. What can we do or what stuff can we suggest that would, might make differences in terms of reducing that kind of pollution? So that's kind of what led us down this idea of we wanted to focus specifically on perennial agriculture, such as like grasslands, and get a sense of how if you incorporate more perennial grasslands into an agricultural system, does that have a positive benefit in terms of water quality, um, specifically surface water quality? So much of the previous research on this kind of thing, looking at perennial agriculture, have really focused on smaller spatial scales. So for instance, they might be looking at a single farm or a single field and looking at how conversions in that limited system is going to translate to runoff coming off of it and kind of making some inferences off of that. But what we are interested in is trying to look at this at a larger spatial scale, kind of looking at in terms of entire watersheds. And then also past projects have kind of like focused on more experimental approaches which are useful because they're manipulating stuff exactly as they want and seeing what the results are. But we wanted to see if we could do a similar thing using a more observational survey approach, trying to look for variation that already existed in the landscape and seeing if we could use that um, to make some inferences about how perennial agriculture would influence water quality. Um, so in order to really look at water quality, the metrics that we're interested um, are both abiotic and biotic. Um, I was really interested in biotic because I have a background in entomology, but also because they're good water quality indicators. Uh, for example, this picture is showing an example of a caddis fly. Caddis flies are known to be very sensitive to changes in water quality, to changes in pollution. So if you get a sense of what the biotic, um, if you get a sense of like the diversity and the biotic indices that can exist in certain locations, it can give you a lot of information about how clean this water is, how much pollution is coming into the system. And then for abiotic water quality metrics, we of course wanna look at how much nitrogen is in the system, how much phosphorus, looking at the turbidity, um, dissolved oxygen flow, 
really getting a sense of like how much pollution, agricultural pollution might be coming off from the surrounding landscape and influencing these water systems. We have all of this information for all of our watersheds. And it's kind of a mess because we have all of these different like attributes that we think on some level are probably gonna influence water quality. And we've got to figure out a way to really like account for all of these when really the one variable that we're most focused on is just perennial agriculture. That's kind of what we've been looking at so far. We've kind of been trying to figure out how we can take all of these different variables and really account for them as best as we can so that we can really focus on the differences in watersheds and their associated water quality, really just based on perennial agriculture. Um, so I kind of blew through a lot of stuff, um, but I'm assuming that will take some time and we can always go back to different graphs and slides to look at it. But that's kind of like the big picture idea, what I've been working on, what we've been working on so far and what we're trying to figure out still going forward, uh, really getting at like the big idea of like, how are we gonna like, structure this study and how are we going to design it so that we can really take into account all these different landscape variabilities. Yeah, uh, so thank you for listening. Uh, I think we could do like questions and then if anybody has ideas or anything, uh, yeah, I'd be really happy to hear. Thank you, Jacob. Any uh, initial reactions, responses, questions? Uh, just going to open up the floor. I just, but uh, before I do that, I, d I do want to highlight that what Jacob is trying to do is, as you can tell, actually quite challenging. Uh, I mean, this trying to separate out a, uh, a variable that you really care about, like perenniality, from all these other potentially confounding variables in uh, a natural uh, context is not easy to do. Uh, so I think that's what you, um, that's what you were hearing about the struggles, uh, you know, that Jacob is, uh, confronted with uh, right now. So we can go into much more detail on that. Are we setting ourselves up to fail um, by saying, oh, let's go ahead and convert all this land to grasslands and it'll improve water quality when the water quality will take a period of time for this legacy phosphorus to work its way out of the system. So if we measure this in 20 years, it's still poor. It hasn't improved that much, even though we've made this large change and we, you know, funders would say, see, we just wasted all this time. It's not a big deal. So we have to make sure we clarify some of those factors of, you know, the stuff that's already there. That's just, just a thought. Yeah. Jim, go ahead. But sort of take, taking off on that point, if, if you're using the results to convince a farmer to, or a landowner, to change land use. Uh, a uh, these these edge of field measurements and a lot of what's to happen on the discovery farms, to me, is very persuasive. Um, I don't. I. I mean. I consider myself more a layman than a scientist. And I have to tell you that your mind is about six times bigger than my mind. I am absolutely, this is really complex stuff. And my mind's about like everybody else's out here in the country. And if it, I could convince somebody 
by using edge of field or discovery uh, discovery farm results easier than something that is so complex. And I realize that it just convincing one person to change land use is not the end all and be all. And I'm just looking at it from a very practical standpoint. <laughs> no, yeah, and I would definitely agree with that, like of like the of the value of like edge of field sampling. I think one of the only reasons that like it didn't come up as much for us, like when we were talking about is because we were kind of interested in that. I don't know. We were kind of like, we saw like some existing like papers and data and we thought what we could do different is look at it at a larger spatial scale. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like where we got down this path. But I agree that like edge of field, like measurements and are very like useful and like interesting. <laughs> Yeah, because they 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 mitigate what Gene is talking about in a in a mm -hmm. way. Yeah, Randy. I just wanted to say that the importance of this spatial scale is uh, it's probably more relevant for policymakers than for a farmer. Right. And um, and I think Gene's point is a good one that we want to be careful if we're setting ourselves up for failure because there are so many confounds that we can't tease out what the real effect of the perennial cover is. And so that's part of what Jacob's thrashing about right now trying to do is understand like, is a better approach to get as many watersheds as possible to overwhelm all that uh, nuisance variation? You know, that's a big part of his presentation was like, look at all this nuisance variation. We got to figure a way to get rid of it and hold it and account for it. Uh, a different approach is rather than accounting for it, uh, let's just separate it and say, okay, we're either over here in this universe or we're over here in this universe. And so he's trying to get to the bottom of that so that we can hold as much stuff uh, as possible constant and then just look at perennial cover. And if there's still no effect of perennial cover on water quality, even when we account for all that, that's mm -hmm. an important finding that needs to be held up in the light next to edge of field studies, which might be showing something different. And those need to be held up next to point studies where we, you know, take a soil core and look at leaching or look at the runoff at a really small spatial scale because the things don't aggregate up necessarily. And that's been our finding generally over time. It's been edge of field work shows that perennial cover slows down soil loss and it slows down water, uh, phosphorus loss. But when we look at the, at the uh, watershed scale, we're not seeing those kinds of outcomes. And why is that? It's because the buffers breach. It's because the vegetation gets saturated. It's because of the way we manage it, et cetera. So I don't want to hold Jacob to account to like do all the mechanistic work that's important to like link all these spatial scales. Uh, but at the same time, he's doing his due diligence at this spatial scale to, uh, to come up with as good a, an outcome as possible. Really good input, input and feedback, though. It's fantastic to hear everybody talking about it. This has been an episode of GrassCast, Stories on Pasture. GrassCast is a project of Grassland 2.0, which believes that caring for the land means caring for ourselves, and that perennial farming systems are our best option for doing so. If you want to learn more about Grassland 2.0, you can visit our website, grasslandag.org. Thanks for listening.